But this morning we're speaking from John chapter number 14, and if you would take your Bibles to that portion of Scripture that Pastor Joe has already uh, mentioned, chapter 12, uh, or should I say chapter 13 through chapter 17 is what we would commonly know as the upper room discourse. And in the upper room discourse, the Lord Jesus is trying to encourage His disciples. He's trying to prepare them. You got to remember, even though they followed Jesus, they did not understand the entire journey. They did, they did not understand the journey of death. They did not understand uh, this of the burial and the resurrection. And, and many of them, because they didn't understand, they had yet to really come to uh, that understanding nature of, of being a, a child of God. And, and much of that will take place after the resurrection of Christ. But this morning, I want to say the wonderful thing about our Lord is to encourage them. We find that over in John chapter number 13 this morning, church, that he, he basically already has told them that there's a, there is another commandment. And since I will not be here to love you physically, you must love one another as I have loved you. For this is how that others will know the realm of my followers is by the love that you demonstrate towards one another. And then we find the later on in John chapter 14, beyond our passage of Scripture this morning, I'm going to call it another commission because many of them were trying to park. They were trying to park around the subject of, are you leaving and why are you leaving? And Jesus was wanting from verse number 7 down to, I believe, verse 15 or 16, Jesus was trying to encourage them to, hey, do not dwell on those things. In fact, church, this morning, it would be like Jesus was suggesting, if you think that you have seen everything with my miracles. And if you think that you have seen the raising of the dead and the, the healing of the lame and the lepers, and if you've seen the feeding of the 5,000, he says, there is something greater that is coming. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege to sit out in my front yard with members of my family, and we had on these funky-looking uh, solar glasses, and uh, you put them on, obviously you could not see anything, but you had to look up. And, and I remember the comments of my grandkids because they would say such things as, isn't this awesome? This is just so great, Grandpa, or Papa, they call me. And then I, I remember that even in the aftermath, they would kind of walk around. Wasn't that great? And I thought to myself, yes, it was great, but there's coming a day where the light is going to be pure. There's coming a day where the light is going to be that of the Son of God. There is a coming a day that we do not need to look to the planetary matters. There's coming a day in which the Son of God will be before us. And then we will know we finally have come across something that is magnanimous in the sense that it's beyond anything that's ever been witnessed before the human eye. Amen? That is true. That's so true. And then from the commission, we will, we will say that, that he goes on to say in chapter 16, there is a, another comforter that is coming. Now, this is all part of what Pastor read this morning because he's trying to encourage his disciples by saying, let not your heart be troubled. And in recent weeks, we, we have uh, 
witnessed that of the departing of many of our dear friends and church family here as we witnessed that of Miss Carlene going home to be with the Lord and, and Brother Mike Hingle that recently retired as a pastor, how, how that God called him home. And, and I know that the pastors have been busy in the setting of these funerals. But the fact is, is that Jesus knew that he would be departing and he wanted to tell them, hey, there's another that is coming to comfort. But before he could get to those things, I believe that what Jesus is wanting to get across to his disciples here is, is that there's another coming. You see, friend, today I believe that the subject of heaven and that the subject of the, coming, the second coming of Christ, that it's something that has become kind of shunned on a bookshelf somewhere. We, we find today that many of our millennial friends, that they're, they're really parked in the here and now, and they don't understand that just like that, that circumstances could change in our lives and in our health, and, and there's a decision that we must make in our own personal uh, journey with the Lord, and, and we must be sure of the fact that we too will see that that's far beyond anything that has ever been imagined. And it's called this place uh, that we refer to as heaven. And I thought that the choir and the orchestra and the praise group, they did a phenomenal job this morning in portraying this. It was A.C. Gabeline that once uh, said that this portion of Scripture would be what they call the great anesthetic, meaning that it really was to anesthetize the hearts of his disciples. He goes on to say, in a nutshell, Jesus was really saying, cheer up. I'm coming back. I will return. It was a promise that he was coming back that really calmed their troubled spirits. Likewise, the promise of his return has been an anesthesia for our troubled hearts ever since the beginning of the church itself. The promise of his return has often cleared away the dark clouds of despair and replaced them in the sunshine of delight. As I awoke this morning, it dawned on me, I'm one day closer to heaven. Every day you get up, you recognize that you're one day closer to your reckoning day uh, with the Lord. My dear friend, Bob is a, a wonderful friend. He's a Cherokee Indian, and he, he knows how to track things. And I get the biggest kick out of listening to him, but he's got a little six-year-old boy. And, and he said last week, he says, you know, Larry, I took my six-year-old boy outside to see the eclipse. And he said he really was caught up into the eclipse. And, and he said he especially liked the fact that it was light, and then it became dim. And he said, and then all of a sudden, he said, it disappeared. He said, and my little boy looked at me and he said, Daddy, that's the worst eclipse I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but dear friend, here's, here's, here's the great day. The great day is coming that whether we go to the Lord in death or he comes to receive us, it's going to be the greatest happening ever. Amen? And this morning, I want to first of all begin uh, this uh, sermon this morning by just reading this verse of Scripture. Paul says, As it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. 
It wasn't long ago that we were missionaries, and one of the supporting uh, churches of our mission journey was a little church down in a little bitty place called Wetumpka, Alabama. Some of you are familiar with this place because it's, it's near uh, the city of, uh, of Montgomery. But their claim to fame down there is that there is a, that there is a, a grave marker, so to speak, that this, this uh, grave marker is, uh, uh, really does not necessarily... You can't tell if it's a real deal or is it, a, is it satirical or is it humorous. But it's a grave marker that says, home with God. And it's this epitaph. It says, here lies Solomon Pease under the lilies and under the trees. Pease is not here, only the pod. Pease shelled out and gone home to God. <laughs> now, I don't know if that's true or not. But do you know what? It's pretty good theology. It's pretty good theology if it is a true situation. But this morning, I want to address this subject very simply. Ready or not, Jesus is coming. And He is telling His disciples in verse number one, He is giving them the same thing He's giving us, and I call it the definite promise that gives us assurance. Because He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. The late Scottish preacher by the name of Gordon MacDonald once was preaching on the subject and someone stopped him after his meeting and said this. They said, uh, so this just really sounds too good to, to be true. And a smile came across the preacher's uh, whiskered face and he said this. He says, no, son, it, it is just so good that it must be true. And today I say that we cannot treat uh, the subject of heaven flippantly. We cannot talk about it being the sweet by and by. We cannot talk about some type of mansions in the sky. I believe it's just like Jesus was saying, if you think this is something, my miracles, if you think this is something, my traveling with you fellas for the last three years, he is saying there is something on the horizon that is literally going to knock your socks off. And I believe that he starts off with this definite promise that he gives them assurance that even though he is leaving, that they also one day will see him again. And I believe that he has to deal with that of what's called the matter of fear. When people are troubled in spirit, they also are fearful. They're fearful of the unknown. They are uncertain as far as what is actuality. They're uncertain as far as what's going to come of this and what's going to become of the children or what there is going to become of this. And in the disciple situation, we find that these men were, were very taken by themselves. He taught, he taught in the upper room a whole thing about humility, and yet Peter didn't even get it. Peter was saying, hey, they all may deny you, but not me. And Jesus had to finally point his finger at Peter and says, hey, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me, Peter, three times. And what happened? The cock crew. And the Bible says there in Luke chapter number 23, I believe, that Jesus looked at him. And it must have been a piercing look because he did not say, nana, nana, boo, boo, Peter, but he basically had to just look at him. And it must have been a piercing thing like the days when your father would rebuke you or you knew that as soon as you got home, you were going to get your fanny licked. You remember those days? And it was a day where Jesus looked and I believe it was a spirit of love. 
And I believe that Peter was taken by that. And the Bible says that he went out just like the rest of the disciples. But they were filled with fear. One man says we find today that heaven is treated like it is nothing. He said it's a contemptuous satire and an insulting travesty that's often depicted in picture. He says whether it be the media of television or movies, there is not one of us that have not seen again and again a cartoon of a man on a little white cloud with wings with some type of halo on his head strumming a guitar. He said that's the contemptuous picture of heaven. Could such a grotesque paradox and such a ridiculous burlesque be true? We simply in heaven resign ourselves to endless ages or nothingness. We fall into the boredom of, boredom of nothingness. We are forced to look forward to graduate into a paradise of inactive nothingness. He says heaven is nothing more than a scraphead of worn out bodies, a collection of human entities consigned in the endless boredom of nothingness. He said that is not heaven. That is the opinion of most unbelievers. So they were filled with fear, but Jesus also had to address the subject of what I call the matter of faith. You see, in verse number one, he touches on two uh, uh, renderings of the word belief. First of all, in verse number one, he says, let not the heart be troubled, but believe in God and believe also in me. Now, why would he reiterate that twice? You know why? Because he is speaking to disciples that were Jewish in nature, and most of those disciples were raised in the teachings of the Old Testament in which in the synagogues, you may remember that they were teaching that God was one. In other words, Jesus was saying, believe in God, believe also in me. He is giving a thought of a continued faith, but I would say the other thought would be that of a commanded faith. In other words, it's an imperative uh, tense of the word believe. But it was to address the fact that they still haven't nailed down that Jesus and the Father were one. Amen, church? That's true. And I believe this morning that the Jewish people had no problem of believing in one God. In the days of Moses when the law was given until the days of the New Testament, they strongly held to that fact. But they accused him of blasphemy. So he deals with the issue of what I call fear and he deals with the issue of faith. But we find that he also deals with the matter of fact. Because he says here, believe also in me. Other words, I believe he, you have to come into verse 2 where he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that? other words, Jesus is saying, you know, fact, uh, fellows, I've got something here at stake. I've got my integrity. I've got my honesty. And I would not tell you something if it was not true. God could not sin. God could not lie. God could not deny himself. And so he wanted to rest assured to them that what he told them was true. Ready or not, Jesus is coming. And he's coming this morning, church, because he has already given us a definite promise that assures us that he will return. But the second thing I believe this morning is that he not only talks about his definite promise, but this is where most of us get caught up into heaven, how beautiful it must be, and it's going to be beautiful. But I don't think any of us in here realize how beautiful it will be. 
And I call it the delightful place that awaits us. The delightful place. Just stop for a moment and try to picture heaven. I can't necessarily picture it. I just know it's going to be a spacious place. What do you mean, Pastor? I believe it's spacious because Revelation chapter number 21, verse number 16, refers to this spatial, spacious place as being 12,000 stadium. Other versions calls it furlongs. But it really equals that of about 1,500 miles square. Now, the following data was not me calculating for every night this week. But this data has been recommended by that of commentators. They said if you were to take 1,500 miles square and you would consider that a building was to have 15-foot space in that building, meaning like a story, he said 1,500 square miles would be equivalent to 528,000 stories in that building. Now, I don't know why these guys don't have jobs. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I think that their wife gives them too much time when they take away the remote from them type thing. And they come up with these figures, but we do know that 144 cubits is equivalent to that of being 216 cubes thick. So it's going to be a real spacious place. It's going to be a place that Abraham described as a city in Hebrews 1. Paul describes it as a building in 2 Corinthians 5. Matthew refers to a kingdom in Matthew 25 verse 34. But our precious Savior this morning, he calls it the Father's house. That gives me this ringing of the word home. And I have been by the side of saints that I dearly love. And I've been by the side of, of young people. And I've been by the side of young children that for whatever reason, God was homesick for them. Maybe they were not homesick for God and he called them home. But home has that personal rendering to it. It's not that God ripped me off and took me out of this life before I was 20 years old or before I was 29 years old or before I come to a place of even seeing my grandchildren. No, God took you or took your friend home. Recently, I was sitting and talking to one of our deacons that, uh, that recently lost two dear friends, his very favorite fishing buddy and, and his friend and his wife for whatever, whatever transpired. Uh, they apparently were found in their vehicle and the vehicle had backed into the lake and they, they had drowned. And do you know what he was, he was comforted by? He was comforted by the fact that his friend number one and his wife knew the Lord Jesus, but secondly to know that in this portion of Scripture, it is about hope. Would you say that with me, church? Hope. What do you think hope is this morning? I believe hope is something that you may not be able to equate in every situation. But I picture hope kind of like, well, I'll try to do it this way. 
Hurricane Harvey sweeps into Houston. People are being killed. It is a tremendous, uh, tremendous tragedy that has gone on. But a little 43-year-old mother trying to rescue her three-year-old daughter. The mother dies in the flood. But when they found the little girl, she was clinging to the neck of her mother. Now, my friend, could I say to you, that's hope for even a child to know that my mother will not let me drown. And that's what hope is this morning. Hope is about that of home. Jesus never taught us that it's about a state or it's about some religious figment of our imagination. It's some type of fancy or a dream or a quote or an abstraction. No, he calls it home. Acts chapter 1 verse number 11 said, Jesus after his resurrection, he was taken up where? Into heaven. It wasn't some abstraction today, as some theologians say, as many cults even teach today. It is Revelation chapter number 21 that I love so much that describes the very exterior as well as the the interior of this place called home. But it's all about its purity, if you will, this morning. The Bible says in verse number 16 that the city lies four square, its length the same as its width, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. You've already seen it on the screen. But it's still is a description of home. When I was a boy, I grew up as a very poor boy. In fact, I wish you would tell Pastor Sam I'm still very poor, and you'd go, and you'd go act on my behalf. But we were raised in what's called low housing projects. And in the low housing projects, in some cases, there was not bedrooms. It was one room like an efficiency, And there my mother, as a single parent, raised three boys and a daughter in that one room. We all had one closet. We all had one bathroom. There was a little bitty kitchen about the size of this guitar over that you had to go in there and you had to hem around. No place to sit and eat. Come back into the efficiency. Large room. And then you would eat. But my dear friend, I'm telling you, there's a day coming that it's going to be about spaciousness because the Lord Jesus said it's going to be large, but it's also going to be lovely because it's pure. It's lovely because we find that Jesus wants it to be the very best. Some of our friends recently wanted us to go to that of um, Graceland, place down there in Memphis, some guy that used to shake, rattle, and roll years ago. And you know, we didn't want to go. I just didn't want to fight the traffic to go down there. And I read the history that one time there was 500 acres of a farm and that the YMCA had um, uh, basically at one time had a contract on a thing back in 1957 for 35000 And along comes, comes this guy, shake, rattling, and rolling. And he upped the price, and he got all that property for $102,500. And I thought, well, that's enough. I don't need to do anything else. But here comes the pictures by email. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm kind of glad I didn't go because I don't see no beauty. 
man, there's a purple Cadillac, there's a pink Cadillac, there's a teal Cadillac, there's an orange bedroom, there's a yellow bedroom. And I'm thinking, you know, Elvis knew how to wiggle those hips, but he sure was colorblind. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But they were talking about how beautiful it was. And I believe, friend, there is something that's coming that we shall behold. And it's a, it's a place called home. It's a place called heaven. Secondly, not only is it spacious, but quickly, but quickly this morning, it's also a very uh, a special place because Jesus himself is not only possessing heaven, but he's providing heaven. You know why we give an appeal every week? You know why every pastor in here that speaks at the close of the service, they give an opportunity for you to come and to invite Christ into your heart and life. Because they too want you to be a recipient of his invitation that he will come again. He will receive us unto himself. It's a special place, friend. It's a spacious place, friend. And then thirdly, it's a spiritual place. Because we find the Lord Jesus is the one that we're going to encounter in that place called heaven. I find people from time to time, they'll say, Larry, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask my daddy this, and I'm going to ask my my child this. You know what I believe, friend? I don't believe any of it. I believe when you get to heaven and, and you come eye to eye with the Son of God, everything will be secondary to you. I believe when you see what He's already done, that's already demonstrated on those hands and feet, that he was slain for you and your sin, it will not be relevant. Oh, I don't think it's going to be, hey, hi, Jesus. Let me get out my smartphone, find out where Paul is, and let me get out my iPad and and see if I can find out the parameters of that. I don't believe it's like that at all. I believe it's going to be a case of John 15 where you as the vine are going to recognize that total satisfaction has always been and will always be in the Son of God. And then finally this morning I say Jesus is coming, ready or not, and I call it the divine person that admits us. You see, I believe he addresses this important matter of salvation. He says, I am the way. Would you say that with me? I am the way. Years ago, one of the worst things I ever witnessed in my life, I sat, in a, I sat up at the top of an amphitheater and I was looking down upon a large building on the river there in Nepal, Kathmandu. And they were having their, what they call their burial ceremonies. And in their burial ceremonies, they would take that body, be it a child or be it a, an adult, whatever it was, and they would place that child wrapped in linen and place that child on a heap of wood and pitch, and they would ignite it. Because their culture believes in reincarnation. In other words, that child may come back as Pastor Joe, or Pastor Joe may come back as a frog. That's the whole argument of the, the, the lack of context in such a theory of reincarnation. But as I sat there, my friend, 
I thought this is their way of dealing with death. And I wept from the top of that thing. The team was trying to console me, but I'd never seen anything like that in my entire life. Jesus was saying, I am the only way. There's no other way. It's not about your church membership. It's not about your good upbringing. It's not about how many merit badges you received as you came through Sunday school. It's the Jesus way. It's not the Catholic way. It is not the Pentecostal way. It's not the Presbyterian way. And incidentally, it's not the Baptist way. It's the Jesus way. I got some bad directions one time, and I was traveling around raising support for our ministry. And I remember that I pulled off the interstate, and I was scared to death. Philadelphia. If you've ever been to Philadelphia, you know what it means to be scared to death. And I was on the Philadelphia Turnpike, but I understood the man told me to pull off at a certain exit, and I pulled off at either the exit before or the exit after. I, I, I could not remember this. But as I pulled off, I started to see buildings and glowing light, and these buildings had graffiti all around the place. And I saw a, a, an alliance of people flooded the streets that I didn't think I should be there. And I remember this Afro-American dear man came to me, and I believe it could have been angelic because I was in a heap of trouble. And he came up to me and he says, do you know the way you're going? And I said, I, you know, the man, the man back there said, said for me to get off here and, and get off there and then take a turn here. He said, it wasn't this exit, though. Okay. I said, what do you suggest? He said, let me show you the way. And that man got in my car and said, just drive on down. And I bet you we went three city blocks. And I was sweating. I was sweating bullets. Amen. And that man took me to the place that I needed to be and turned me loose. You see, Jesus was saying, I'm the only way. And then he was demonstrating it by adding to it, but I'm also the only truth. I was told a heap of lies or either I got off at the wrong exit, but it wasn't the truth. Amen? But Jesus said, I am the only life. Oh, Jesus wrecked a lot of funerals, didn't he? Man, I mean, when Jesus came on the scene, it was no longer about death. People were being raised to life. Amen? Jesus was healing and you see, friend, I believe this. Until that glorious day when I came to Christ, I was dead like a dead man. I was dead in my trespasses and my sin. But when Christ came into my life, as this song kind of said, I was able to rise because I was resurrected into a new man. I was resurrected from death unto life. Ready or not, friend, He's coming. 
He's given us a definite promise. He's told us about that of a delightful place. But he also wants to assure us this morning that he is the divine person that admits us. He's the master architect, by the way. He designed heaven. He created heaven. And now, my friend, he's the one that admits us into heaven. Little girl was upon her grandpa's lap one day, and little girl's name was Susie, and she reaches up and fills her grandpa's face, and it's kind of whiskery, you know, it's kind of gruffy. And then she put her hand on her little face, and she reached back up at grandpa, and she said, Grandpa, did God make you? And grandpa looked down at Susie, said, Oh, yes, Susie, God made me. And she reaches and she fills her face. She reaches back up and fills that old rough face of his. And she says, Grandpa, God's getting a lot better at this, isn't he? (laughs) And church, this morning, I want to say to you that the beautiful thing about what God has already designed is it's available to you. I was 27 years old, a drug addict, an alcoholic, losing my wife and my kids. When a little Christian school took my little daughter under their wings, and she invited me into her room one night, and she prayed this prayer. She said, Lord, would you save my daddy out of the mouths of babes? Most convicting prayer I'll ever remember in my life. Two weeks later on a Mother's Day, for whatever reason, we felt we needed to go to church. And that was the day that I remember that I was introduced to the admittance into heaven. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. Ready or not, I hope you're ready. Because He's the way, He's the truth. And he's the life. No man, not you, not anyone you are endeared to, not your child, your family, no man comes to the Father but by Jesus. Let's bow our heads together. Our Father, I thank you for the opportunity, I guess, Lord, to just be able to share portion of your word that has meant so much to countless numbers of saints through the years. I'm thankful to know that this is not all there is. And we may think this is something, but there's something far greater that is coming. I'm thankful that you did not just leave us here, but you're going to come and receive us unto yourself that where you are, we shall also be. And so the difficult part now is that we yield an invitation to those that are visiting or attending here, and they must acknowledge it's no longer about a church role or a church membership. It's about what have they done about the way, the truth, and the life. 
So this is your invitation. You're speaking to hearts. May they act upon what you have spoken to him about. We'll give you praise for what you have done this day as we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.